0: Get ready for a trauma dump. Settle in.
1: Wrap yourself tight
0: in a blanket. (laughs) Welcome to Please Bless This Podcast. This is the podcast where two sisters talk about all things Mormon and pop culture. And sometimes we talk about ourselves.
1: Yeah. Here's a special 20th episode extravaganza where we just unleash (laughs) like all of our, I don't know, trauma...
0: Get ready for I'm, a trauma dump. Yeah. Trigger warning if you don't want to like feel sad. You know. No, I mean we've been doing this for a minute and we're like, hmm, should we like say a little bit about who we are and what yeah. we're doing
1: and why? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe why you could be interested in listening to us in the first place. Like maybe right. give a little background. Right. Yeah. I love So that's
0: that. what we're doing. Yeah. I'm Elisa, by the way. I'm Katie. And you're going to be hearing from us today. Yeah. <laughs> so settle in. Yeah. Get a nice
1: glass of water.
0: You're going to need <laughs> to stay
1: hydrated or milk. <laughs> crystal light. If you, know. you want to be
0: a true blue Mormon. Uh-huh. Wrap yourself tight in a blanket.
1: <laughs> Give yourself yeah. that really do feel-
0: Until you feel protected. <laughs> from Mm -hmm. all that's about to come out of us no this isn't gonna be that bad it's just you know I know I'm interested to hear what you have to say I was writing my notes and
1: definitely being like I'm gonna cry while I know this I had that thought
0: too I mean we're talking about ourselves but specifically about our pathways through and out of Mormonism yeah and it turns out like just preparing for this episode I was like what was my path out yeah and what were the key moments in it? And it turns out there's some real doozies in there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. Let's start lighter, though. Okay, How, maybe like, a quick like, who are you, Katie? Tell the people.
1: Oh who no, are you? I'm I'm Katie. Uh, <laughs> wow, the way that my mind goes blank when I'm asked <laughs> to introduce myself, right? who cares a little (laughs) bit of who cares a little bit of who knows (laughs) you know well in like regards to our family structure I'm the youngest sibling which is Mm -hmm. relevant I'm the youngest sibling by quite a bit I'm so much younger than Elisa (laughs) yep it's crazy what else about me I grew up in Washington I live in Oregon I've always lived in this part of the country, mm. this part of the world.
0: You're a Pacific Northwest gal through and
1: through. Through and through. I'm married. I have been married a long time. I have a child,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I have a, a boy child. I'm pregnant, quite pregnant with another boy child, which is great.
0: Yes. And that's Exciting. what I've been doing
1: lately. I just be momming <laughs> and podcasting and hanging out. And, uh, yeah, you know, hobbies, interests, whatever I got time for, who the hell knows.
0: I've been trying to think about like, what would I say about you if I were introducing you? Oh, sure. And I feel like a couple of things that our listeners should know about you. And the first one is one they maybe do already. You are really funny. Katie is one (laughs) of the funniest people, maybe the funniest person I know, like the most Like, you say things that I'm like, where on earth did you come (laughs) up with that? Just in day-to-day conversation, the way Katie turns a phrase, I am consistently like, whoa, how did that happen? (laughs) I'm in awe. Thanks pal. So that's the thing about you. What else about you? Okay so one thing I think we should talk about is our pop culture interests beyond Mormon pop culture. Oh sure. And I was thinking about that with you because I feel like you have a very like diverse mm-hmm. pop culture universe. Yeah. Yeah. For
1: sure. I've never been held down by anything in my life in regards mm-hmm. to pop culture, music, TV and movies, books. Yes. Just I... last night, we
0: were chatting about how you loved Gwen Stefani as a kid, but that was like, you were like a little edgy for that because you were like a Just little wasn't... young to be into Gwen Stefani.
1: Uh huh. And you Oof. said it in the context of like, can you believe she's married to Blake Shelton? And I'm like, I kind of get why she's married to Blake Shelton too. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. I have always been a TV girl. Mm-hmm. a music girl, a movie girl all day long. Yeah. And yeah, and you could never guess where I'm going next. I like no. it all. Country music, c- classical music, anything. As long mm-hmm. as it's stupid, I like it. <laughs> yep. What about you? I I want to think about th- things about you. You're such a Taurus. I'm such you're, a
0: Taurus. You're so also, cozy.
1: You're also super funny and I feel like you're similar in terms of like your pop culture interests. Like Mm -hmm. you're obviously very smart and like academic. You have your PhD, but you also like know literally everything about like the real housewives. Mm -hmm. You're a Kardashian apologist.
0: I am. I'm like a Jane Austen girly for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, for sure. But also I will defend Tom Cruise as one of the great actors of our generation. I mean, he is crashing helicopters people elisa we can't get started (laughs) no we can't talk about numbers i (laughs) i'll never stop yeah i do think too in terms of birth order i am the middle child and i am a consummate middle child Yeah, for sure i'm always like people don't remember me it's just (laughs) how i've lived my life Mm -hmm.
1: and it's so funny because that's not how you're perceived at all and i think that that's because you like have you probably did have to fight against being mm-hmm. ignored or, you know, not necessarily ignored, but just not as seen
2: mm-hmm. as the
1: other people around you. And so you just, you have this like great personality and you are super noticeable because you are different. And
0: that's fun. very kind of you middle child grew up in Washington with Katie over here. I went away to college at BYU went on a mission. That's actually something I like have not talked a lot about in my real life Mm
2: -hmm.
0: for years. And so I think there are people who know me pretty well who maybe didn't even know that I'd gone on a Mormon mission because it's just such a weird period of my life. But yeah, I went on a Mormon mission to upstate New York. I went back to BYU for a master's degree, worked there for a year as visiting faculty, moved to Wisconsin Mm. for a job. Worked in Wisconsin for a few years, got a Ph.D. in Wisconsin, and then moved to California to be a professor. And then I have just recently left that job because it sucked. And now I'm doing other things, including this podcast. And Katie and I are writing a novel. We sure are. We've never talked about that. The main character is an ex-Mormon, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it sure is. So that's us, and you're married. Sisters. Oh yeah, and I'm married. Oh my God, Frank, how could I forget? Hello. Frank. And I'm married. I actually just got married like a year ago. We met when I moved here to California, and my husband is awesome. He's the best. Yeah,
1: for sure. He a Never would be Mormon. Never Mormon. He would be hilarious to have on the podcast. Oh my God. Like just tell him only five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Have him on. Have him. Have him log in in another room. I know. And then he'll just be like,
0: "What's." What's going on? <laughs> yeah. He jokes that he should be our producer. So he just like feeds us random questions. I and I think that. that would be sublime. Yeah. I but think unfortunately, show... he's busy.
1: Yeah. he's He's got a whole thing going on. I do yeah. think the show would benefit greatly. From his yeah. perspective. For sure. I feel like we should preface us going into our backgrounds by sort of saying, well, we are sharing what we want to share because we want to share it and feel like people can probably connect with it. We both have like very different stories when it comes mm-hmm. to leaving the church that are both perfectly relatable to all sorts of different people, but we don't feel like we have any right to like advise right, in any sort of way. We are just here to like commiserate, yeah, <laughs> hang out.
0: I mean, that kind of gets at one thing we wanted to touch on was our purpose for the podcast, like Mm -hmm. what sort of led us to even starting this. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe let's tie that in first. because You've already started. We came to this project from a pop culture lovers standpoint. Like we Mm -hmm. were like, look at all this stuff coming out about Mormons. We were watching it. We had friends who were watching it. We had people who were never Mormon who were like, Wait, is under the banner of heaven real? Wait, are the real houses of Salt Lake like, is that like what your experience in the church was like? So that was kind of happening. And Mm -hmm. we were like, Wouldn't it be fun to sit and talk about all these things and answer these questions for ourselves as much as for anyone? Mm -hmm. And then what we found inevitably is, In answering those questions, we started deconstructing Mormonism on the podcast. Yeah. It was almost a byproduct of the goal instead of the goal itself. Totally. And I think one thing I've since learned being in more ex-Mormon spaces online is that there are a lot of folks who are like, I'm here to help other people learn about the church so they can leave it. I'm here to like coach you out. Mm -hmm. coach you through leaving yeah and respectfully that's not what we're claiming to do no
1: we could Um, never
0: we don't have the qualifications to do that and I do think qualifications matter it can feel when you're going through it like I just need
1: somebody to relate to Mm -hmm. somebody to talk to but uh, you know upon deconstructing for myself I know I now see that like professional help is needed.
0: important
1: I agree so that's I will, what you should get
0: I agree I will say there's no wrong way to do this if no. you do what you're gonna do and I had you I had good friends mm-hmm. who I could go to while leaving the church to talk about things and not feel alone and I know that there are people who don't have that mm-hmm. and in that case it's like look I need somebody and and i do need help and there are people offering help we're not trying to say there's one right way to leave the church or or anything like that no but we aren't claiming to be guides for mm-hmm. leaving the expertise we bring to this podcast comes from our own experience with mormonism and that's mm-hmm. like what we're trying to share
2: mm-hmm.
0: in the framework of this pop culture that we love and the like only kind of quote unquote help we see ourselves offering is like solidarity, humor, Mm -hmm. empathy. And if the podcast helps you, that's amazing. Like that is so great. And we're so glad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But if it it. doesn't help you, it just like kind of makes you laugh or makes you think or makes you go like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Mm -hmm. That's great.
1: Yeah. I think that for some people, I know from my own experience, sometimes listening to or engaging with content like this can kind of make you feel bad Mm -hmm. and like that's okay and you should just allow that and recognize it and yeah you know
0: act accordingly act accordingly (laughs) right like if you need a break from hearing about mormons we get it we sure do (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so do you want to tell your story first you want me to go first what do you think why don't you go first okay seniority I'll go first, but feel free to pop in. I will. I'm sure. Okay. So like I said, I was kind of going through... The events of my life in preparation for this podcast and trying to think of like what were these key moments these key like eras of my experience within Mormonism so that's kind of how I'm framing this in my own head I will say I've always been kind of skeptical I've always been someone who like asks questions and I've definitely always been aware of absurdities within Mormonism and especially within the people I encountered in Mormonism from a very young age like I remember us on Sundays after church sitting around the dinner table and we'd be like sister so-and-so said this nuts thing today like we were all aware of it (laughs) however I am a middle child and I wanted to make my parents happy and make people happy and be good being the good kid was the way I got validation and so I was very invested in being like a good little Mormon and that really defined my life for honestly like 20 years Mm -hmm. and there were like blips of rebellion I went through a real rebellious stage in like the fifth grade where I like swore and I would buy candy cigarettes at the corner drugstore oh my gosh and then I went through another rebellion my senior year of high school where I went to rated R movies can you believe that's crazy But then I ended up at BYU and that really pounded the Mormonism back into me for sure. I think if I had gone to a different university, that was like a period of my life where I was starting to be more independent. Things could have gone differently. But I was at BYU and you just get kind of immersed, wrapped up in all of it. At 21, I've graduated from BYU unmarried and I'm like, I guess I have to go on a mission because my patriarchal blessing said so. Even though I did not really want to do that. So I went to the temple for the first time. This was a big moment of dissonance. Mm-hmm. You're not prepared for it. Yeah, The temple prep classes do not prepare you. It's so strange. It's so different from like going to church on Sunday. It's so different even from like, you know, as a young Mormon, you can go to the temple and do like baptisms for the dead. hmm And that's pretty weird. That is weird. That's like intro to weird. It's definitely weird. But you had also been baptized at eight. So there's some familiarity to the act of being baptized that kind of keeps you from maybe freaking out. Yeah. But going to the temple to receive my endowment was strange and uncomfortable. I remember leaving. I'd gone with my parents and my mom said, you're not quite sure what to make of that, are you? She could just see it on my Mm. face. And I was like no I'm not (laughs) sure it was so strange I cannot emphasize that enough and Mm -hmm. I and they invited me to ask questions and the first question I asked was you know why does Eve have to covenant with Adam instead of with God directly Mm. and the response I got was don't go down that road you know that's not going to be a productive conversation you're asking the wrong questions, right I've heard that more recently, they've changed that in the temple, like within the last couple of years. Hmm. And sure, good for them, whatever. But like, let's not pretend that that's not indicative of the Mormon woman experience in general. Mm -hmm. So I just left unsettled. And to be honest, I never really enjoyed going to the temple at all. It was like a thing I did as rarely as I could get away with. And out of pure obligation. And I remember after going through the temple for the first time, this was right before my mission, a friend of mine who was also single but wasn't going on a mission, she just wanted to go to the temple. And that's, like, a thing that's a little bit discouraged. They're mm-hmm. like, wait till you're going on a mission or getting married. And she asked me, like, should I go? If if they'll let me, should I go? And I mm-hmm. said no. Yeah. And I was like, the temple's not for single women. It's for married couples. Yeah. And married straight couples. Hmm. And I remember she was like mad at me. She was like annoyed with my answer. She thought I, I think she thought I was like gatekeeping and trying to be like, no, I'm going on a mission better than you. But honestly, I was like, uh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Nah. Then I go on a mission. This was another pivotal experience. My mission was an absolute mindfuck. The overarching lesson I was taught as a missionary again and again was that if I wasn't seeing the results that I'd been promised, it was because I wasn't sacrificing enough. So Mm -hmm. if people weren't getting baptized, it was because I needed to sacrifice more. And this thinking applied to everything. So like if I wasn't achieving something in my life... I needed to do more. If I wasn't seeing the blessings God had promised, it was on me.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that is a really problematic mental journey to go on. I remember standing up in meetings as a missionary and we would be asked one by one, do you have the faith to baptize this transfer and every transfer? Transfer is six weeks. Mm. And you would say yes. And then you would not baptize every transfer. No one was. Right. And um, then it was like, okay, well, we need to give up more as a mission. So your lunches need to be shorter. You need to wake up earlier. You need to study harder. You need to. And it just went on and on and on. <laughs> and it was brutal. It was really miserable. It was the first time in my life I ever felt depressed. I would never been someone who experienced that before, mm-hmm. but I was so depressed. <laughs> I was so anxious. I was so miserable. And when I did feel happy, which I did, and many times, it was like a mania. Yeah. Like, I remember being, like, breathless with happiness. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, I was crazed. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I'm going to need therapy. I'm not okay. Yeah. And you just had to put that out of your head and go.
1: Yeah, you were, like, starved for just, like, normal yeah normal serotonin dopamine intake just regular
0: life regular life even just regular rest yeah and just being able to turn off this like the ledger in your head that's like i'm giving this so god can do this oh Mm. god's not doing that i guess i have to give more and more and more Mm. when in reality like people getting baptized is not something i can possibly control no right. matter how short my lunches are and how early I wake up in the morning. Right. But I like believed that and I applied it to my life after my mission. Like I was like, oh, I'm not married and I've been promised that by my patriarchal blessing, by my mission president, by God, supposedly. Right. So it's on me. What more do I need to give up? What more do I need to do? And whew, it mm. was a lot. So I came home for my mission, very committed to Mormonism because I had just sacrificed A year and a half of my life to it, but also really disconnected from myself, from reality. Mm -hmm. And I went straight back to BYU. I was a grad student there, and then I was visiting faculty there for one year. And I was lucky that I met a really good therapist at the BYU Counseling Center, which could have gone very differently. Yeah, And he helped me to kind of identify the unhealthy mental pattern I was in and that was great that was great that was important for me but I couldn't help but think if this mental pattern that we're talking about is unhealthy why is it what I've been taught yeah why is it what the church teaches if it's like psychologically damaging Mm -hmm. why was my mission president saying this why are the general authorities saying this
1: yeah you were just doing what was encouraged right and I feel, I feel like in retrospect, sorry to interrupt. No. I can remember please. when you got home from your mission and I remember you seeming manic. I remember you telling mm-hmm. me that you couldn't listen to music. Mm-hmm. You know, you were struggling to like get back into just being a person. Yeah. Um, that's really traumatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you hear that from lots of people. Like yeah. that's a normal thing that, Missionaries, missionaries experience developer. they get home and it takes them a while to be able to watch television mm-hmm. or listen to secular music or like just start hanging out with people yeah being an individual
0: I like couldn't read a book yeah like I remember trying to read like the last Harry Potter book had come out while I was mm-hmm. on my mission I remember being excited to read it and I like literally couldn't mm-hmm. I just couldn't process it I couldn't focus on it I was just in distress Mm -hmm. it was a really weird time for sure and I was really unhappy and I was like I aren't I supposed to be so happy I just made this huge sacrifice of my life to go serve God serve the Lord serve the church isn't this when I'm supposed to feel great like I did that thing I did it well I gave my whole heart to it like shouldn't this feel good hmm. And of course, the problem was me. You know, it had to be me.
2: Right.
0: So I'm back at BYU, but I I'm finding no pleasure in being there. Not in the same way that I had before. I like there was academic pleasure and like learning and stuff. But going to church was a misery. I remember distinctly, I was the Relief Society president and I could barely get myself out of bed in the morning because I was fucking depressed to go to church. And so I would just go to Relief Society and I felt bad about it. Yeah. And I remember driving to church one day and feeling bad and having this distinct impression as if a spiritual prompting that God did not care if I went to church, that it didn't matter. And that was comforting, but also confusing. Yeah. Prop 8 was going on. And at BYU, that was big. We were being told we needed to, like, be in the phone banks calling people, telling them to vote for Prop 8 and make gay marriage illegal. And I was extremely uncomfortable with that. It did not align with my values. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of dissonance. It was a terrible time to be a Mormon. It was the first time for me that I was like, no, 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 this is not who I am. This is like toxic. So another big pivotal experience for me is that I had a kind of situationship with a guy that I'd met at BYU as a grad Mm -hmm. student, and it turned out he was gay Mm -hmm. and a Mormon and not fully out necessarily. And he sort of pitched me the idea that we get married. Mm -hmm. Because we were great friends, you know. And I had never really heard of a mixed orientation marriage. So I became familiar with it. And I contemplated it. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing I don't talk a lot about because it's not something that is easy to talk about.
1: No, not at all.
0: But I contemplated it. And I'm feeling emotional for some reason. Yeah, for sure. I'm not exactly sure why because it's old, it's been so long, you know, it's so long resolved. But it was really a fucked up situation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was.
0: I think the thing that has stayed with me that did the most harm was that there were adults in my life and in his life, you know, friends, family, church leaders, who we went to with this. Is this something we should do? Is this a real viable path? And those people should have Protected us and should have steered us in a reasonable direction. And instead, we both were encouraged to pursue that relationship and a mixed orientation marriage. You know, I remember he was told like, oh, sex and marriage its just such a small thing. It's not that important. What's really important is X, Y, Z. The reaction I got was like, well, getting married to a Mormon guy, I mean, you're already 24 or whatever, however old, 25, mm. you know, you gotta, it's so important that you do this. You yeah. know, getting married to a Mormon was more important than getting married to, to someone th- who loved me or could love me or who would be happy being married to me i mean it was just we were not protected we were both led down a path that was wrong yeah i can't speak for him we're both fine yeah we're both good and we have never talked he and i have never unpacked it oh not really
2: Mm -hmm.
0: but i was fucked up by this for a while yeah (laughs) for sure I kind of disconnected from myself, I think, to protect myself from Mm -hmm. just all of the misery that this sort of stirred up in me and all of the feelings of like being unlovable and the church kind of telling me that I wasn't a real person unless I was married. And so even though the church was what was harming me, I couldn't leave it Mm -hmm. because I couldn't even think deeply enough about what was happening to identify the church as the problem at that point Mm -hmm. so (laughs) yeah that was a dark era too and honestly though we made the right decision I made the right decision I was like no this person can't love me this is not what I want this is not good yeah I didn't date for years like Mm -hmm. five six Mm -hmm. after that because I was so messed up Yeah, that was a situation
1: that should have been stopped. Yeah. Like, I remember
0: talking to our parents, who Mm -hmm. I think would do it all differently, in retrospect. Yeah, for sure. But at the time, they were like, well, maybe that could be Mm. great. We love the idea of you getting married in the temple to a nice boy. Mm. There was not a lot of digging deeper. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. In retrospect, that's just.
0: It was wrong.
1: Unbelievable.
0: And we were harmed. by I was harmed by it. You were. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that wasn't great. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on past probably the darkest era, honestly. Mm-hmm. After all of that settled, I was getting a PhD. That was a great time in my life. I was being treated like a whole person. In a way that wasn't what I had experienced a whole lot as a young woman in the church. You know, I was asking a lot of questions. I was learning to think in new ways. Like, it was really great. But the contrast of that experience with my experience in the church was so stark that it, I think, really contributed to me eventually leaving because I was so invisible in the church. At that point, I was in my early 30s. I was single I was in a family ward and I was truly marginalized, you know, as much as a white woman in the church can be. Mm -hmm. I remember we'd be in like relief society, you know, and they'd say like, turn to your neighbor and share a trial. And a woman, the woman next to me would turn to me, a woman who knew me, knew my situation and would say my biggest trial is that I got married so late I was 25 I never thought I'd get married it was so hard it was such a trial in my faith, but then I got married and so the, like the Lord resolves everything and I would sit there and think like, uh, what's happening.
2: Yeah, <laughs> am I invisible really...
0: <laughs> right like, do you literally not think of me as a person. Other examples, like I was never invited to socialize with adults in the ward because I was single. Presumably, maybe they just didn't like me, but I'm a pretty nice person. Uh, But I would get invited to babysit while the adults got together to socialize. So like a couple would plan a thing and invite other couples in the ward. And then one of the women would call me. A woman my age or younger would call me and say, would you like to come watch my kids while I go to Sister So-and-so's house for a little dinner party? And I was like no I'm not looking for babysitting opportunities and the fact that that's how you think of me instead of thinking to invite me to the thing I mean it was just constant it was constant. Mm -hmm. There was one other sort of big moment where I'd been teaching gospel doctrine in the ward for over a year and this man in the ward who who attended gospel doctrine every Sunday participated you know I ran into him around town one day. He and his wife. She said hi to me, and he looked at me and was like, "Oh, are you?" And he he had no idea who I was. And he was in my gospel doctrine class every Sunday for over a year. He had no he. It was like he had never seen me before.
1: Wow, I think that says more about him.
0: Of course it does. <laughs> but I mean, that's the problem, right? That's is crazy. Like, single members of the church. I mean, that is yeah a horrible position to be in. The church is not set up for those people. Mm -hmm. And it's a miserable experience and I hated it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm getting my PhD. I'm single in the church. I read the CES letter Mm. and it's a thing I've been aware of, but I haven't intentionally engaged with it just because, you know, not that I was afraid to, but I just hadn't. Mm -hmm. And so I read it and it doesn't really rock me. Mm And I think it's mostly because at that point, I had pretty much come to grips with the fact that the church was illogical and problematic and toxic. Mm -hmm. I'd been to enough therapy, I was in touch enough with my emotions, I'd had enough kind of shitty experiences that I didn't expect... Reason and logic from the church anymore.
1: Yeah. And you knew a lot about the Mormon history. Of that course, I really did. is what normally would cause people to freak out. Right.
0: I also read a lot, you know, had studied a lot. I was aware of problems with the Book of Mormon, of problems with like the rhetoric in the church. Mm-hmm. It just didn't bowl me over or anything. But that was telling, right? That I right. was kind of like, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> there are all these problems because staying in the church at that point wasn't about the church being logical and reasonable and verifiable it was a test of endurance could I hold on even though everything wasn't working out the way it had been taught I wasn't feeling the way I was supposed to be feeling because that had been going on at this point for a decade
2: mm-hmm.
0: and to be frank I was the last kid in the family who was still in And I felt like I should be loyal to the family tradition for our parents' sake. And that was what it was about. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure there. Right. There was a lot of pressure there. I also, again, was single. And so I didn't have my own kind of family unit at that point. I really had our parents. And so it was like, no, I got to stick with this. Mm -hmm. um so I went through a period of time where I remember saying to people I don't really believe anything like I can't know that the church is true but I can't know that it's not true either
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I'm just gonna like not worry about it (laughs) (laughs) but that of course is not actually
1: possible that can only take you so far
0: right in 2015 when the new policy about LGBTQ Mm. members and their children was leaked I remember thinking this is horrible this seems like a scam cuz it's so unbelievably villainous. Mhm. But then it was true. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast. Our mom called me and she was upset by it too, but she said to me like I'm worried this is going to make you lose your faith. Mm. And in that moment I knew. Well, I, I it's gone. I right. lost that a while ago.
1: Right. My faith is
0: not of concern right
1: now. The right. What, what this is concerning. <laughs>
0: like Right. Yeah. But even then I stayed. And this is the era of my life that's been the hardest for me to understand. Like, why didn't I just leave? Mm-hmm. I didn't believe in it. I wasn't enjoying it. I had no sense of community there anymore. I'd had so many friends leave the church at that point. So much family leave the church. Like, why Why not just go? And this is one of the weirdest twists of all. But I stayed in to some extent because I was an academic finishing a PhD. And for a decade... BYU had been like, hey, if you want to come back, hey, if you get that PhD, come back. Hey, think of us when you're applying, come back. I know many people who've had this experience too. friends of mine in academia where their old department was like, hey, think of us because they are looking to hire active members of the church. And there are only so many with PhDs. So they kind of court you a little, but it turns out it's pretty disingenuous. It has Mm. been for a lot of my friends and it was for me. So I was physically in, completely mentally out. I was dating outside of the church at that point and all that that entails. I was like sinning in small ways and being like, do I feel guilty? Nope, I feel fine. Is this scary? Mm. Nope, it's fine. And so that was happening, but I was also still like in enough That when the time came, if I needed a job and BYU was the only place that would hire me because academic jobs are hard to come by, I could maybe sneak through. Mm. And I think I held on for a couple more years because of that fear that I wouldn't be able to be a professor if I burned that bridge at BYU. Yeah. And then I was finishing my PhD, I was applying for jobs. I did apply at BYU and I had talked with people in the department and I got an unceremonious form email. They didn't even consider my application. After all that, all those years of like, think of us, come here. Not even a, hey, Elisa, we know you. Let's talk to you for real. Nothing. Yeah. And I was sort of like, great that's the last little tiny thread here. There's nothing to pretend for anymore. And that was it. I will say I did get a job as a professor and I did move for that job. And when I moved to California, I did go to church again a couple mm. times mm. because I was living in a new state where I knew nobody. And I was like, not that I wanted to go back to church, but maybe I can find other sort of physically and mentally out Mormons who share a similar background to me and we can be friends so I'll go to church in this mid-singles world a couple times and it was a disaster like first Sunday I met with the bishop and he was kind of sexist and then he was like how can we meet and I was like you know what I think I'm good I think I'm gonna stop coming and he sent me these really kind of like emotionally manipulative texts that were like oh but give me a chance you haven't even given me a chance like I'm not a bad guy and I was like what the fuck is this yeah and that was truly I mean I had been out but that was just like okay bye -bye. cherry on top that's enough and that's it that is my long 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 path out Mm -hmm. and since being out I've Learned even more about all the terrible church history and all the illogical bullshit of the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith, Mm -hmm. dug more into the horrific rhetoric of church leaders over the century and a half, or however Mm -hmm. long it's been. But all of that's been kind of in retrospect, all of that's been kind of like confirmation of a decision I made a long time ago. Yeah. That the church just wasn't for me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's been a benefit of starting this podcast. Definitely. There have been some enlightening moments just in the 20, weeks that we've been doing this mm-hmm. it's um it's interesting when those things come up that for some reason you just didn't know until now and you're like well affirmed
0: yes right
1: not nice
0: it is nice <laughs> it's very validating yeah what about and,
1: you katie and to be going through this with you
0: yeah all I the know. Better. it's been such a pleasure mm-hmm. so glad we're buddies yeah me too
1: well what about me My answer to that question is going to be very different because Mm -hmm. mine is the story of a child and not an adult woman. But I do think still that it is, I'm sure, relatable to many people. I think I really wasn't very skeptical of the church when I was very little. I was really skeptical of myself. Within the church. So, from a young age, you know, you're told when you should feel the spirit, mm-hmm. how it should feel. And um, that just wasn't something that I experienced. I think that I, like you was like a very discerning little kid. And I think mm-hmm. I normally was very skeptical. But I think I had this like underlying fear <laughs> in regards to the church. And, you know, with the expectations that there were of me, like they were pretty clear, and they were always pretty intense. Even though we didn't grow up in Utah, we were still very much immersed in that. Mormon culture, and we had like a very Mormon extended family, and yeah. pioneer heritage. And... Not to
0: interrupt, I feel like that's a pretty key thing about our upbringing. We haven't said is like mm-hmm. on all sides of our family. It's like from Joseph Smith's time, we've been in the church.
1: Yeah, our family traveled across the country in handcart companies, and like across the board, like we are mm-hmm. like all pioneer heritage. Yes, um, we we're descendants of John Taylor. Mm -hmm. though not the like proud descendants of john taylor he did not um unfortunately claim our family he chose another one but it doesn't change the fact that he's our grandpa yeah so that yeah that's definitely worth mentioning i think Mm it it definitely played a role like there was an expectation of us in terms of our behavior i think maybe especially because we didn't grow up in utah we were supposed to be this example of the right behavior and the right way to look. And so there were just a lot of expectations. It was pretty rigid when Mm -hmm. it came down to like the way you talk, the way you dress. And I had a really hard time with that. I have never really had control of my mouth. It's like a very separate (laughs) organ from the rest of my body. And I've always been a smart ass and I've always been a nice person. And I always really cared about, how I presented myself, but I was just a kid. I mean, I think in retrospect, just a normal kid. Mm -hmm. And I really had a hard time with that. And so the expectations just kind of amassed, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you should be feeling the spirit, having spiritual experiences leading up to baptism. There's just, it's a lot, it's a lot to Mm -hmm. put a little kid's mind through. And on top of it, I mean, church was weird Sunday school teachers start saying some weird shit as you get older (laughs) and so then you really do start questioning things I think around the time when I turned eight the age of accountability things really like start the cracks began to show and I was scared and I got I started to kind of have like a a nervous breakdown surrounding my faith Uh, it wasn't my faith it was just me you know, mm-hmm. when you're a kid, you don't have the ability to separate yourself from it really. So I was just a very nervous kid. I think to a, a lot of, I think to the people around me, it probably registered more like I was really conscientious mm-hmm. and like, I really cared about doing the right things. But in retrospect, there was something really wrong going mm-hmm. on. Every day was just tears and like mm-hmm. setting conditions for myself, shame manifesting physically I have really traumatic memories of having panic attacks as a little mm. kid which Jeez. I didn't know that that's what was happening but I do now mm-hmm. I, I have one specific memory of we were I'm sure I think you were there and maybe our brother or our mom and we were watching tv and I'm sitting on the floor and everybody else is behind me and I'm watching the I'm blue Daba D music video <laughs> by Eiffel 65 which dates this Perfectly. I think. Yes. And I don't know what triggered this. Something clearly was coming to a head in my mind and in my body. And I started having a panic attack and I, I just remember it. So it was just so visual. I've never forgotten Mm. it. And I was just like overcome. And I remember that being like the first time I learned how to like breathe really deep you know, Hmm. breathe in and breathe out almost like you're yawning. And then, and then you'll work through the nausea and sit really still. So nobody can see that you're freaking out. And I was so afraid that if I moved or if I got up and went to the bathroom and threw up that people would know. Hmm. And I was probably seven when that started happening.
0: And I say, as your older sister, I remember. It was like, Katie's nervous. She's a nervous kid. Mm-hmm. She's got a lot of fears.. Mm-hmm. I remember that was kind of the narrative of you as a kid in the yeah. family. Mm-hmm. But there was just like no digging into like what what's she afraid of, yeah what's the root of this fear? You know, and I was a kid too. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what the hell was going on with anything. But so it's so interesting to me to hear you talk about it because it was so much deeper than what was being acknowledged.
1: Yeah. It was like, oh,
0: what a quirk that she's kind of nervous. Isn't that funny? Like she'll get over it.
1: Yeah. 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 I think that's really that's really how everybody saw it at the time. I think in retrospect that all the people who were adults who observed that at the time would now recognize that it was
2: mm-hmm.
1: deeper than that. And they have to me, it was a real mindfuck there for a while. I I mean for a really long time. So so like I said, that was probably when I was like seven or eight when that started happening. And then I got baptized. And it got, kind. it kind of shifted. I mean, mm-hmm. baptism was a real weird thing for me because I did not feel ready. I didn't feel worthy, but I couldn't say no. They tell you, you can, but you can't. No. And I was really frightened by it. And that manifested in a really uh, strong fear of the actual act of getting baptized. I, I remember, remember this.
0: That. I do. I remember you didn't want to put your face in the water. hmm Yeah.
1: So that was really hard for me. The actual baptism was really traumatizing for me because I ended up needing to get dunked like I don't even know how many times because I couldn't I wasn't getting completely immersed Mm. in the water.
0: Oh, my gosh. You're I'm remembering this as you're talking about it. Yeah. Um, And again, we were all like, she's got a fear of water. I know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I and you you can't say anything. I can't actually say to my parents that I'm feeling like really desperately afraid and that I feel, feel guilt all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, For me, the only thing I would say is I would say, am I a bad kid? Am I a bad kid? Aww. You know, all the time. And all they would say is no, of course not. Because to according to what they were observing, I was very conscientious, but I, right. it kind of evolved. And I developed this propensity to, committing little acts of sin it was like very early rebellion Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: i really don't have like the knowledge or the vocabulary to really know what that was but it was like in response to all this shame i was feeling i was feeling miserable all the time as this little kid so yeah it was like little things stickers and hair hair ties and 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 just taking little things and things mm-hmm. that I could keep secret like lying and just telling little lies all the time and and I just couldn't really control it and it's not necessarily like I didn't care I felt terrible about it but mm-hmm. I just had this weird inclination to just keep doing these things but it just it it just got really big and I became really depressed and kind of just like disengaged from life, Mm -hmm. from a really young age. And I would say I probably started to feel really depressed in middle school. It just reached a point where I was like really alone, had nobody to talk to about my shame. And Mm -hmm. I was really different than other kids, you know, being Mormon. I like appear one way and I feel so Mm -hmm. strongly another way, but I had no words. You know, it probably
0: didn't help, too, that you were suddenly an only child.
1: Yeah. And I was suddenly an only child because Chris and I both were gone. Yeah, that was really hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really detached from the church at that point. By the time I was probably 12, you know, like I was participating in it, but I was probably pretty resentful even Mm -hmm. by then and just angry. And I felt like hurt by it Mm -hmm. all the time. But there was like no way for me to say that i was hurt you know Mm -hmm. because if you do it's oh well sorry we're trying to like save you and we want you to go to heaven and (laughs) i don't know it just was it was enormously difficult so by the time i got into high school (laughs) i was just sleeping all the time Mm -hmm. still going to church But just, it it was expected of me. I went to seminary through high school. I think Mm -hmm. I stopped going my senior year. I think I I ended up telling my parents that I wanted to be done with the church around my senior year. And Mm -hmm. then I continued to go to church, but I stopped going to seminary. But um, I
0: remember driving you to seminary when I was home after my mission mm -hmm. and you didn't want to be going. No, I I did.
1: I was not participating in it whatsoever.
0: And Um, you had crazy seminary teachers. I remember your seminary teacher was like, Obama is the antichrist. Totally. They were bonkers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but
1: luckily, well, not luckily I, my depression really came to a head when I was probably like 13 or 14. And I was like, not doing anything, but sleeping when I wasn't at school
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and my parents, I guess, or I don't know if they thought this or if the doctor just it was the doctor's idea but they drug tested me because they I was acting like I was on drugs I guess oh was not on drugs yet just <laughs> depressed which I luckily the doctor picked up on and so I started to get help for that That's and so that was
0: crazy to me that they would drug test you before they would what have a conversation
1: yeah and like I said it might have been the doctor's idea I don't mm-hmm. know and so Yeah. Luckily I started to like get help from adults who were outside of the church and Mm -hmm. I was able to voice like what I was experiencing and, and be empathized with in a way. Like I, I had never been, I had never felt that true empathy in regards to how I felt like I was victimized by the church. Yeah. And my experience, experiences were big and it's okay if my feelings around them were big like that was just never okay it was Mm -hmm. you know uh, just a buck up kind of situation always Mm -hmm. and um I had spent so long just trying to make everything as small as I possibly could like in retrospect that's really the only way that I can think about it is like I was just trying to you know, make my feelings small and like hopefully desensitize myself to the shame that I felt around the church and
0: Mm -hmm. shrink yourself
1: into the mold and just shrink myself. But, you know, as you know, like in the church, it's, you feel conflicted. And I was still a very young person and very impressionable. I was still going to EFY, Mm -hmm. which is a weird experience. (laughs) I mean, it makes you, it's like weird brainwashing Yes, propaganda weirdness. So there was like that element, and I and I did have a testimony of Joseph Smith up to like a pretty late point. Mm-hmm. I, uh, for whatever reason, like that's what my brain.
0: I had held the on same to. thing, Katie. That's so funny. I remember saying like, I have a testimony of Joseph Smith even more than I had a testimony of like Jesus. Yeah, for sure. I like believed in Joseph Smith as a prophet. Yeah,
1: I think that there's something to that yeah yeah anyway um yeah like i can remember begrudgingly going to temple square on family vacations to utah and sitting down and watching the restoration and being like swept up
0: in it yeah it it was so dramatic and emotional that movie man they really got you i remember watching that at the end of my mission and i remember at the end everybody's in tears yeah and my mission president stood up and said I bet you feel like you're on the right team, don't you? Oof. Yeah. And I was like, "Yes." Mm. Yikes.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I I kind of abruptly left the church then when I became an adult, when I turned 18, mm-hmm. because I knew that I like desperately needed to because I had had that lifetime of just trauma, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't re- I didn't I wouldn't have labeled it that back then, but I would now. I just Felt so sad and so overcome with shame and just burdened by the expectations and confused because it's so confusing. So
0: confusing.
1: And, but also conflicted because I did have faith, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, the church works, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I just like ab- very abruptly left when I was 18. I didn't really look back. And it took me several years to like, look inward and to consider things like the ces letter and Mm -hmm. to i don't know like allow myself to really think about it and uh luckily that uh did happen and has led us here Mm -hmm. which has been really great but it's a like a i'll carry those experiences with me forever they were definitely they definitely shaped who i am and like how I know myself, you know, it's funny, mm-hmm. like talking about myself being like a scared kid because mm-hmm. uh, I'm s- just so not right. I'm a, I'm not a scared person.
0: No, I'm a
1: happy, joyful, um, adventurous person. Yeah, that it's been really a blessing to mm-hmm. get to know myself for real outside of the context of that religion.
0: Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing as you were talking about that. It's just such a far cry from, like, who you are now. Mm-hmm. And I remember learning things about you. Like, there were periods of your life that you didn't really share with me at the time that you were in them because of where I was, where you were. But, like, I remember you telling me stories from after you'd left the church about, like, things you had done that were kind of risky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? Katie yeah. doesn't take risks. Katie's afraid, mm-hmm. and it's like the thing that you were afraid of had been removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the church all along. It wasn't living. It wasn't the world. It was like this framework of belief mm-hmm. that was just pummeling you with fear.
1: Yeah, it was very much a specific thing. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I, I do, I have had lifelong like anxiety, like I sure, am an anxious sure. person, but I, I think it is related to those experiences. I don't think that it's necessarily innate. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of a, just a response that my body has learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't super affect my day to day. I don't struggle with like really overwhelming anxiety. I just struggle with, like I've talked about my sleep paralysis demons yes, and um, <laughs> things like that. That's generally how it manifests, not in the day to
0: day. Fortunately,
1: right. but it's a, it's a wonderful life.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing that stands out to me in your, well, two things that stood out to me as you were talking, one is I've always like really admired that you had the guts to just tell our parents when you were 18, like, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. Cause it took me until I was 38 yeah, long after I'd even left to say mm-hmm. anything to them. I just like, just didn't tell them for yeah. years so that is like has always like really blown me away that courage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the other thing I'm thinking about is like how you like you said you got help from adults outside of the church and Mm -hmm. I just think if I had had any like real awareness of mental health from a non-LDS perspective earlier in life what a difference I think it made
1: all the difference in the world like I remember he would say things to me about like my, the ways that I was wanting to like experiment as a teenager and he would mm-hmm. be very much like, that's normal. You're fine. Yeah. Like, Oh, you want to smoke weed? That's safe on your medication. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay. Is that what you're wanting to know? Like you wanting to tell me <laughs> if it's like right or wrong. He's like, nobody cares. Like, yeah. you're going to be fine. It won't kill you. Yeah. Are you afraid of dying and I that's when I like realized I'm like oh wow it doesn't matter okay and just things like that you know Mm -hmm. I was actually filmed uh during those sessions because they were technically for a study Mm
2: -hmm. I was
1: like a part of a study at UW it was pretty incredible he would show me stills from like when I first started when I was 14 and then when Mm -hmm. I was like 17 or 18 he showed me like some of my last and I was like a totally different person I was Mm -hmm. like totally like as a 14 year old i was like slug person oh just so worn down and as i got older it's almost like i looked like younger yeah just happier more confident like i literally was just like so like
0: Mm -hmm. crouched
1: and like hiding when i was a younger kid and that was really cool
0: yeah the burden had been lifted a little bit yeah that's kind of beautiful I have a lot of feelings when I listen to your story I have a lot of feelings as your older sister like I just you know feel very protective of you
1: that's the hard thing about talking about my journey out of the church. Is like I said it's because it's a child's story it's mm-hmm. very upsetting to me yeah I feel very angry because I do still have like full body reactions to like thinking about these times like it wasn't mm-hmm. just oh it was hard oh It didn't feel very good. It was like, no, the worst I've ever felt in my life was when I was seven
0: or eight. You were a little child. You should have been protected.
1: Yeah. How do you feel now? Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Beautiful. Sparkling. (laughs) I feel good. I feel mostly completely at peace about all of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And with like little sprinkles of anger mm-hmm. and resentment and like, you know, the, the traumatic memory here and there, mm-hmm. uh, I think, especially as a mother, I feel very, uh, you, I mean, you just see your kids, yourself and your kids. And so it yeah. makes me a little sad sometimes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I'm very happy to be exactly where I am, where we mm-hmm. are together
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I I try to look at it as like um it, as much as I can as like maybe it's like a fun mystery cuz there is that sort of like heritage mm-hmm. family history element like I'm uncovering like every horrific thing we uncover about our family history is like a fun you yeah. know like I'm blowing yeah. the dust off an old map
0: you know yeah. No I feel the same way like there is an element of like humor and delight to some Mm -hmm. of it like as you learn like the truth Mm -hmm. of the history of the church and you think about like our ancestors being caught up in all these shenanigans it is kind of like wow what a legacy yeah it's a
1: bizarre legacy yeah <laughs> i'm at the point now where obviously we have a podcast about it people are like oh shit you were mormon i can like talk about it and yeah answer questions because there have been times in my life where i couldn't and, like, oh my gosh you know?
0: i would be like i don't want you to even know that about me yeah it made me so uncomfortable because i felt like i had to defend it or i had to justify myself or i had to distance myself and now i can just talk about it yeah it's a lot better on the other side some of the very best things that have ever happened in my life have happened since I left the church and honestly leaving the church was a catalyst for those great things to happen and I feel great about that yeah amen I thought this would be like a little 20 minute (laughs) short and sweet but here we are
1: digging deep
0: an epic tale thanks so much for listening everybody y'all are great Mm-hmm. please bless y'all please, please bless, bless you, you
1: all you alisa oh
0: thanks so much for sharing please bless you katie Thank, and please bless this podcast
2: amen